Welcome to Essential Coaching Conversations with Kyle and Asim. The real, relevant, and necessary coaching conversations to help you navigate coaching, teaching, learning, and life. Welcome back to Episode 8 of Essential Coaching Conversations with Kyle and Asim. Uh, I am Asim. And I'm Kyle. Just to remind you what we sound like, because I know it's been a week since we, uh, since we last put out an episode, but um, at the time of this recording, we just hit 500 total listens, which I don't know about you, Kyle, but that still to me is 494 more than we originally thought we had. Yep. We'll just continue to do this like we do every episode um, when we start this off is to just take a second to thank everybody. And again, like, you know, there's uh, the crowd seems to be growing a little bit more. The restaurant becomes a little bit more crowded. Um, folks are going back, listening to old episodes or listening to it once, twice, maybe even three times. Um, folks are reaching out more about thoughts and, um, you know, kind of how things are impacting them again. And again, that's what we want to have. I talked to somebody earlier today. Um, that just called and said, Hey, finally got a, you know, been meaning to listen, haven't gotten a chance and finally did. And, and these were, this is kind of what I thought about it. And it was right on, right on Mark with what we were hoping to um, is to just, you know, make it sound conversational, right. Uh, central coaching conversations. And, and, you know, he basically said that he felt like he was in the car having a conversation with us and that's what we want. And then went on to talk about, you know, how things, um, you know, hit him and impacted him and, and so on and so forth. And then we got to have a conversation out of it. So again, that's, that's the whole point of this is, is not to just have one conversation, but to go deeper with it, to go on to that next thing, make the ne next connection and close the loop. Um, maybe one question leads to a potential solution, but hopefully it, it brings up two or three more questions. And that's just how we continue to, to evolve and to dive into these things. So uh, again, sort of our, our, our weekly thank you. Um, you know, we, we certainly appreciate it. And um, we've had a, we've had a new record every, every day over the last uh, month or so. Um, we've had a, a new record high in listens. And so that means that, you know, y'all are out there. And so we appreciate it. Yeah. And I want to, I want to share really quick. Um, Cause I think these are, when you talk about like the restaurant being full and like, you know, the feedback that we get, like, I'm going to share something really quick. And this is from the guy who actually, his name is Ron Moore, uh, coaches at Elizabethtown College in Pennsylvania, and he kind of was the one who spurred us to take the plunge and actually start the podcast. A shout out to Ron, um, you know, but, you know, he's one of the ones who will shoot a text every now and again when he's listening to an episode, you know, same thing with a bunch of other people. I think, Kyle, it's, it's nice when we get those messages rather than like, ratings and reviews because they're way more organic right it's not something that's yep. canned or something we've asked for but you know when he's talking he just sent a quick text the other day and said about our body language episode that yeah body language is overrated everything is so nuanced but the masses want to talk solely in absolutes and i just thought that was such a uh, a clean way of saying what we're trying to say is that there is nuance to almost everything and those shades of gray that exist, I think coaches want to generally stay within the binary of yes or no, right? We talked about that in our, in our standards episode and, you know, standards part two of hacking your standards and all of that. Like there is really no binary when it comes to a lot of these things. And I think that sort of tees up our topic for today 
where we're talking about levels. Um, and this is as promised. We teased this in our last episode and we're, we're bringing it to you, the masses, um, to talk about levels and sort of why we believe levels matter um, and what the real difference is between the levels. And so just to give you a quick rundown, I have coached at every quote unquote level. So that in, that's youth, middle school, high school, freshman high school and varsity high school head coach and varsity high school assistant coach, uh, division three, division one, and semi-pro men's basketball. Um, so I have been at a bunch of different levels. And Kyle, I, I know you have also been at a bunch of different levels. Yeah, and, and again, not just to get stuck on the coaching part of this, but the education piece and just the leadership side of this as well. So um, I've coached youth, you know, kinder, all the way down to kindergarten, um, and then coached junior high, coached high school, been at the Division One level, um, and now back working in, in college athletics and quote-unquote Division One athletics in a different capacity. Um, you know, you get to see uh, how these places are, are potentially different, but you get to see how they're really a lot of, you know, in the same. And then from the classroom, I, I've, I've worked with, with uh, you know, kids all the way down in, in third, fourth, fifth grade doing some leadership character development. But e even just a, from a, a pure like classroom educator, I've had everything between seventh through 12th grades. And not to get into this too deeply right now, I'll get into this a little bit later, but not just one subject, seventh through 12th grades, bouncing around from different subjects. I've taught AP biology, biology one, um, earth science, life science, um, STEM. I've taught civics free enterprise, world geography, US history, health, you know, just bounced around and then coached several different sports, tennis, track, football, basketball. Um, so like I said, well, I wanna dive into this just yet, but not just levels within one particular sport of coaching, like basketball per se, but where we can take that beyond our sports. Um, and so I, I think at the time going through all of that, it was it was a part of me that was annoyed about a lot of that. Like, hey, we need you to pick up this or, hey, I know we just you just spent the last two years learning this particular, you know, seventh grade science curriculum, but now we need you to take this curriculum. Or, hey, you've been teaching science. Now we need you to go over here and do history. You've never coached track before, but we need you to fill in and go coach track. And at the time, you're like, man, like, how do I have to learn one more thing? Like, I just was getting comfortable at this. And now I've got to go, you know, learn something brand new and do that. And I, I do think looking back over the last, you know, 12, 15 years, while those things are difficult at the time, now you're sort of glad that you got to go through it because it teaches you so many things and you have so many new perspectives. Um, and I, I learned, a, I became a much better basketball coach after coaching tennis. Um, I've become a be much better uh, coach when I went from head coach to assistant coach. And I'm the best coach I've ever been now that I don't, I'm not in that seat anymore because I have such a different perspective. Um, and so I do think that, again, while a lot of these jobs are, going to be different when we get closer to the you know to the top of the pyramid at the base of all of this stuff a lot of it remains the same and and, and that is just sort of on brand with what we talk about and what we believe that with the human component because at the end of the day we're all working with people and you know a, a, a person a human being um whether they be in junior high or whether they be a professional at the end of the day are still human beings 
And a lot of their context and nuance will definitely be different versus recreation and just having quote unquote fun versus being a profession. But at the end of the day, we're all human. Absolutely. And, and it's funny because, you know, as we dive into this, I remember sitting in a meeting with uh, a former AD that I, I worked for. And I remember him saying, you know, you're about the right things, but I don't think you can get it done here. And that was basically him challenging me to show that I was more competitive by stomping around on the sidelines. Mm -hmm. That was the crux of that conversation. And I remember asking, what do you mean I'm about the right things? Because I wanted to know what he thought the right things were. And, you know, he said, you know, your, your X's and O's are, are pretty good. And, you know, the kids love you and you're great with them with connecting and kind of went on, on and on and on about the human component before we had labeled it the human component, you and I, Kyle. And I said, so if that's what I'm about and I'm about the right things, why does it matter where I am? And he had no answer for that question. And I think that sort of can set the table for this talk about levels or this conversation about levels, because it really doesn't matter where you are. Your technical and tactical knowledge is only going to get you so far. Right? You can look at Jim Boylan with the Chicago Bulls. It's a really, really good example. I don't know how many of our listeners are familiar with Jim Boylan's approach at the Chicago Bulls, but he ran that program when he was there he ran that club like it was a military camp I mean they, they were going you know there was sort of this unwritten rule in the NBA of you know you don't practice after a back-to-back -back. well he's like no we're going to practice right and he completely skipped the human component part but if you watch any Jim Boylan clinic the guy is pretty good at explaining all of his concepts his tech his tech tech stuff um, but he lost that locker room very quickly same thing with John Beeline when he was at uh, when he was with the Cleveland Cavaliers. I mean, he wanted to do all of the same drills that he was doing in, in at the quote unquote the college level, and he didn't have the requisite relationship with the pros that he was coaching. And so when he made that move from very high level quote unquote high level Division One college basketball at Michigan to the Cleveland Cavaliers, he just sort of expected them to act the same way his players acted when he was with the University mm -hmm. of Michigan and sort of let him kind of do his thing and be a little bit subservient, be a little bit more compliant, not realizing that the biggest underlying issue was that he had not established trust and they didn't care that he was John Beeline. Right? The Cleveland Cavaliers players were like, who are you? Why should I listen to you? Why should I care? No, I don't want to do these two ball dribbling drills because this isn't going to help me win games at this level. Um, and I think we also need to then look at separating, and this is where I was going with this, separating what happens in the NBA or the WNBA from youth, high school, and college athletics, because they are vastly different, right? They are extremely different. When you alluded to it at the, in the open, professional athletes exist in a completely different category than anybody else that plays sport it is their job but it is not who they are so the human component still matters in fact it probably matters more at that level because they need to be able to trust that you're going to help them get better because their livelihood depends on it but we can't take that same concept of why it matters in the pros 
and apply it to the other levels because the context there is different. And if we don't understand that and we try to mirror our, our organizations as being these professional organizations, we will never be successful. And so that's why I think, you know, when my that former AD said that, he wanted me to mirror my attitude based on what he saw on TV. And so thus I couldn't get it done because I am not that person. So two things, I wanna go back to that comment for just a second. If you are, this might be one of these instances where we tell it ourselves. If I'm the AD and I look at you and I say, you're about the right things, but I'm not going to hire you for those. Does that then mean that he was hiring for the wrong things? For the for the it's, wrong it's reasons. It's very possible. It's very possible. So I I already worked there. I was the head coach at the time, and this was during like a performance review with him, um, which you know, I ended up retaining that job, and we were really good. But I think it's it's one of those things where, in his stream of consciousness, he was telling on himself, saying that he had not created an environment where somebody like me could be successful. Right. And so I think that gets more to the equity conversation as well as the level conversation. Right. I just I, I think that's that's a funny way to say it is like you're about the right things, but that's not what we're going to do here. And it's just it's like in a roundabout way, it's saying, OK, well, then we're not about the quote unquote right things. And that's right. a that's we a as an institution are not about the are, right are, things. are yeah. not about those things. Um, or I'm going to go out and I'm going to find somebody who is about those things, but yet they stomp around and throw a hissy fit on the sidelines because that's really what our fans think is, is coaching. Um, and so we have to play into the external formula of what they see on TV, um, which again, and this kind of ties me into my second point, is what we see on TV is not not relevant to our life. So um, one of our good friends, and I, I, I don't know where he may have gotten this, um, but it's where, it's, it's where I remember, or when I think of this, whose name sticks out in my mind, but Ryan Smith here in Louisiana with me, one of our uh, Closest friends is a, a really good coach and, and coaches Class B basketball here in Louisiana. And Class B is a little different here in Louisiana because their B and C here don't have football. So when I coached at Simsboro, I was all basketball all the time. And it is a quote unquote different level. And there are a ton of things about that level that are different than coaching at a 1A through a 5A school because you remove a massive variable when it comes to football, which everybody down here knows is, is king. So it's, it's a little odd to be at a school that doesn't have football. And while that can cause some issues or some other things, it also creates a lot of advantages for your school uh, because you're you not having to share athletes, you get them first. I mean, we literally, it was one month a year where we didn't do anything organized basketball wise. Um, so it's, it's all time year round, whatever. But the point that he was making um, was that he, he got to a place where he, he really wanted to find what was relevant to his particular team. And I, I don't even, not necessarily say level, but his particular team. If it didn't apply to him at his level and his team, then he would ignore it. And I thought that was A, wise, but also, you know, pretty disciplined on his part to ignore the noise of what was happening at the quote unquote higher levels or going to a clinic or whatever the, you know, again, we talk a lot about like the DVD and the PDF, like, to block all of that out and only say, okay, is if this is not going to impact and benefit my guys with what we need to do to be successful now, it might have helped some teams I had five years ago. If I get another job in 10 years, that might be beneficial. But to make us successful right now, 
if it's not doing anything for me, then do I really need to be paying attention to this? And I just remember thinking like, man, that made a lot of sense. And, and you start to think like, why did I think of that? It's not a, a complicated thing to think of, but we don't tend to, to think through, um, you know, through that lens. And that was, that was very impactful on me because I got to thinking too, like, how do I take that to the classroom? You know, there are a lot of really great things I did with my, my, 12, my 11th and 12th grade AP kids. But that wasn't necessarily applicable to my seventh graders. And, and some things were, you know, there were some things that, that did apply and I could use, but why was I trying to force sort of the, the square peg into the round hole as it were? And so then that got me thinking about, okay, well, where do we typically steal from? All great coaches and teachers are thieves, right? We steal from other people. Um, and ideally you do, and then you give those people their credit, <laughs> um, which is a conversation we've had a few times. But if you're stealing, and you're, you're thieving, well, all these great ideas and everybody sort of, it's a borrower's league. Where are you doing a lot of that borrowing from? Are you looking laterally or are you looking more vertically? And, and by vertically, I'm not even really talking about going down. I'm obviously talking about going up in levels. So if you're a class B boys high school coach and you're studying, you know, an NBA summer league game or you know, and I'm, I, I love that. I love, I pick a FIBA team every year, you know, a country Euro basket, whether it men's or women's side, kind of study them and break it down. And that's one of sort of my guilty pleasures and seeing if there are things that trickle down, but how relevant is what a, a international professional team competing in Euro cup, how relevant is that to me in class B, you know, boys, Louisiana. Um, and I think it's a great question to ask and something that we have to be very careful about because we can start chasing these rabbits and going down places that, that aren't going to be real beneficial to our kids. And so when you see that, that excellent, you know, X's and O's play that's been tweeted out about how to get your four of the ball in this particular spot, but the four in the video is Giannis, you don't have a Giannis, you know, and you don't have the time it takes to teach all of those things and, and rep every single wrinkle in this and that and have 12 different defenses and all that. So I, I do think it's, it's, Part of this episode is, is important to note that, yes, you do have to, you know, go out and learn and, and steal. And there's nothing wrong with studying what somebody else is doing at another level. But the, the, the mystique of that level, and I think the issue that we fall into is how many times do you ever go down in level to steal something? When really the level, quote unquote, down is not only more applicable to you, but the person who's teaching that is probably the better teacher. And the person who has to deal with more things than the person that's at the quote unquote professional level who only has to focus on certain things. Absolutely. And so going back to Ryan for a second, I think that's probably, I don't know if that was the impetus for Raka, but I think he was really good at doing that. And I think there's a lot of coaches that really struggle to go through that rocket process. And to, to those that are not familiar, that's reflection, awareness, clarity, and alignment. Um, and, you know, to us in essential coaching, congruence equals success. So did we do what we said we were going to do? Have we found alignment in how we are using the resources that we have or collecting resources or things like that? And so I think one of the things that I would say is probably one of the biggest areas of growth for me and maybe coaches can relate to this. I, hopefully they can relate to this. I, because of our conversations with Ryan and then obviously our conversations with each other and the chat and all of those things, 
I spend an inordinate amount of time on the smallest things, seeing if they will align with what we're trying to do. And that's why, and here's our made up statistic, 90% of what's out there from higher quote unquote levels, I don't even look at it because I'm already aware that most of this is not going to apply to what, what my context is where I am. And so when we think even about going down in levels, and, and maybe we need to rephrase that, like it's not going down as in like you're sacrificing something or you're right. settling, right? But how many times do you go watch the middle school team play? And the middle school team really struggles, but you're seeing growth in real time. And how can you then take what that coach is doing and replicate it with your own team? Because I would venture a guess to say, and this is where we can really get into the meat of this levels thing. If you are an educator, not just a coach, but an educator, you are probably going to be more successful at handling all the things that coaches need to handle, plus all the other stuff. So here's an example. One of our, our community members, uh, he's right in, in, in right outside of Philly, probably like a couple hours outside of Philly. Coaches middle school, and he works at a software company or an IT company. The amount of conversations we've had with that individual about the overlap between what he does in his educator role, managing people, teaching people, handling people in the software industry, many of whom do not speak the same language that he does. And what he does with his middle school boys basketball teams, the overlap there is incredible. Yeah. But if this person was not taking an educator's mindset and solely thought, you know what, I need to run my read and react offense, I got to put in my triangle or, you know, my, uh, my diamond press, I got to do all of these quote unquote basketball-y things that I've stolen from all these other coaches that are at a higher level than me. If he had that mindset, he would not be nearly as successful as he has been in the past with middle school basketball. And so us sitting there on a call with him and sort of picking his brain about what he does and his processes is infinitely more valuable than going to Las Vegas and spending three days at a clinic watching these high level, quote unquote, high level D1 coaches talk about how they get, like you said, their four man a touch at the rim. I don't care how you get a lob to your foreman at the rim. Cause you know what? I don't have those players. Yep. It doesn't matter to me. Now it might spur something creative in me. Sure. But like, what's the return on investment of saying that I have to go learn from the quote unquote level that is above my level when realistically the lower you go and the less resources you have, AKA a constraints led approach, how do I work within my constraints? How can you learn from me at the lower level where we don't have private jets to go wherever we want to go to recruit, right? There, so, so the nuance in this conversation is, is massive. I mean, there's, there's no like binary thought here that division one is better than division two than is better than, than division three. The game is the same, right? It's the pace and physicality and that has to do with the speed, athleticism, and size of the players. And obviously, there's a skill level, right? But how we learn how a middle school coach manages their program 
while also working a full-time job or how a teacher at the high school level who also coaches, they have to spend an entire day teaching. They're not only planning their lessons, they're also planning practice. And so if we're at a, at a situation where all we get to do is basketball and it still takes us all day to plan practice, either we're not very efficient or that practice better be like fire. And very rarely in our experience from what we've seen, is it actually like a great thought out practice plan, but all we have to focus on is basketball. Yeah. You, you show me somebody that is a, a, a junior high teacher and a junior high football coach having to handle 60, 70, you know, seventh and eighth grade boy football team while also teaching a full math load and drives a bus and is in charge of FCA and has a family and does all that. Like, I want to hire that person, you know, because they've had to learn and figure out and do and, and handle all these things. And it's, it's just, at what point did we get to where knowledge and, you know, all the good ideas, all of that sort of stuff trickles down in level when in reality that stuff will trickle up and you can't, and that's not to say that like every coach at division one or that's a pro doesn't, you know, think this way or get this way. Um, Cause I, I, we've had conversations with people that coach pro that coach high D one that you can catch them. And, and, and I don't know necessarily why it's not more open and honest, you know, in a public forum, but if you can catch them sort of privately and they'll, they'll tell you like, I learned more from my junior high coach when I was playing than I did my varsity or my college coach, you know, by the time I got to college, it was a, it was a job, you know, or, or whatever. We just kind of ceased learning. It was just, Hey, perform. Um, or that they will go, you know, across, across town to the, to the high school coach or the junior high coach and watch what they do and maybe see if that spurs some ideas. Cause it's like, Oh, at the, at our particular level, we only get X number of hours. Okay. We'll, we'll cut that down, you know, by 50%. And your kids aren't skilled and they don't know what you're talking about. And they're distracted by what all was going on throughout their day. And they just want to leave and go play with their friend. Like you have to engage that group. That is somebody who's got it going on. That's somebody who understands engagement, connection, speed, health, that, that, that gets the priorities of these things. And I, I want to say that um, uh, our buddy Brian um, has, has talked about this before. And that like a lot of times people say that, um, you know, teaching and coaching are the same. And he will tell you, no, they're not. Coaches get to work with kids who want to be there. Teachers have to work 90% made up statistic of those kids that are in your classroom. They don't want to be there. You know, find, show me a junior high math teacher who's got a classroom of engaged individuals who are performing and learning. That's who I want running my program if I'm hiring. That's who I want to learn from because coaches have so many inherent things built in versus their educator selves where, okay, well, if you don't want to be here, just fine. I'll replace you with the next quarterback. You know, if you don't want to show up to these voluntary workouts, quote unquote, and do this, then I'll just move on to the next person. Well, we don't get to do that in the classroom. A, you've got to teach who shows up, you know, and you got to go to class. And you, it's your job as the educator to teach them and not just not just teach them, but they've got to prove to you that they're they're performing. And a lot of this is a different conversation for another time, but they've got to perform to certain metrics and standards that are created by people who have no idea what they're doing and, and making those 
or they're completely outlandish or we can't hit those. And that might be a standards episode part three that we could get into one day. But that person's, it, it, they're, they're having to do their job with both hands tied behind their back. So why are we as a, as a, as a community, as a profession, why are we not running to those individuals to learn from them? But we're so glamorized by the mystique of somebody who's got a blue check mark by their name on Twitter and they're famous or they've got, you know, that they're the ones that are speaking at this particular Nike clinic. Why do we automatically assume we're going to learn something from that person in 45 minutes where we don't get to talk to them when I've got a, an amazing drama teacher, an amazing music director, an amazing uh, office secretary, uh, an amazing janitorial staff that I'm around every single day in the hallways on my campus. Why we think we're going to get something over here when really the value is already where we are, um, I think is something that I don't know how you change that. I guess that's kind of what I'm, I'm rambling on now, but I'm kind of I'm kind of saying all this stuff, hoping that if you're listening to this, who are those people in your school that you can think of where it's like, man, I've never thought to go talk to the junior high band director about how he gets 50, 13 year olds to sit there quietly while holding instruments and listen to him. You know, the person that can work that magic, that's who you need to be go learning from. I think that's like the beauty of what we do here and, and how rewarding this whole experience has been with having essential coaching and like developing this very, very deeply connected coaching community is that we do get to learn from not only the, the, the people in our organization and that we get to talk to on a daily basis, but what they are going through, like the situations that they have to deal yeah. with. And so we're getting so many reps in in community building, in problem solving, in decision making. And, and I, I would venture a guess to say that and it's not just the sheer number of decisions that, you know, like a high school coach has to make or a junior high coach or whatever. It's the type of decisions where those people have so many more things that they have to do on a daily basis. And they also still have to function as a human being. So that amount of film that the college coach watches, the high school coach is watching the same amount. They all have the same 24 hours in a day, yet six and a half hours of that high school coach's day is taken up by teaching something that has nothing to do with their sport. And they have a commute, they have a family, they have, maybe they have staff meetings after school, right before practice. Oh, and also they're filling out those scattering reports. Also, they are cleaning the gym. Also, they are doing all of these things. All of a sudden, that 24 hours becomes real slow. I was about to say, they, are, they might also be working a second job. <laughs> they might also yeah, have to be able to support themselves. Side yeah. hustle-wise or summer or weekend. And not only are they having to make those decisions, they're having to make those decisions by themselves alone in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. Because even if they do have help, it's just somebody that they could find or a volunteer, somebody that's not nearly as invested into the program that they are. And so just, mm -hmm. which again, an impetus for this community was, man, I just need somebody that I can bounce an idea off of. If I've got to make a hundred decisions today, what are the likelihood that I'm making half of them are good ones or going to turn out well? Well, if that's the case, if I could just 
ask somebody their opinion or talk to somebody about, could I, could I, could I bump that up to 90%? And mm-hmm. a lot of times these, these lower levels are having to not only do more with less, but they're having to do it by themselves, which can just, if you, you know, if you start to think about that, it just becomes very mentally taxing to even just think about. And it. with more, I would say, and with more people, right? If you're a high school varsity coach, and this is, Again, this is the levels conversation that we're talking about. If you are a high school varsity coach, in most places, you have freshman sports, you have JV sports, you might have a sophomore team. You're in charge of all of those kids. You're in charge of all of those parents. You're in charge of fundraising. You're in charge of organizing all of those people. And yet, we glorify the D3, D2, D1 you know, whatever coach who literally has a roster of 12 to to 18, 19 kids. And yes, we're not saying that that job is not difficult. That is not the point of this episode. The point is we don't need to get in like caught up in this mystique, as, as you said, or sort of this glamorization that just because somebody has a particular title just because somebody coaches at a particular level means that they are automatically the better coach, the better organizer, the better educator, the better office person, the better CEO of their office, et cetera, et cetera. I would venture a guess to say, and we talk about a constraints-led approach all the time. We talk about game sense approach. We talk about game theory, game models, all that. The coach that doesn't get to pick their talent and has to coach who's in the gym is the one that's going to be more successful when they have more talent to play with. And I've seen that firsthand. Like me personally, I've seen that firsthand. The game is the same throughout. It's how we activate the people that are in that program. We talked about this on one of our other episodes. You recruit your edge. The high school coach that can get the kid that doesn't have any interest in basketball to come out and play for their team and develop over four years, as opposed to just wanting finished products to come in and contribute so we can get another contract. That level of motivation is extremely different. That level of engagement from that coach is extremely different. And it's funny because when we first started essential coaching, here's a little insight into some of these early conversations that we had. We had a lot of people that watched those clinics that we gave back in 2020. Right. We had a lot of people watch them and we had some D1 folks reach out about joining our organization when we first started. And I'll never forget, we had a, a division one assistant, not a power five assistant at the time. Um, the first one of the first questions that person asked was, how many D1 clients do you have? Yep. And at the time we said, well, we don't have any D1 clients. But it doesn't matter. You could be the first D1 client. We're still going to treat you the same way as everybody else because your context is going to be different from someone else's. And we want to get to know who you are because we take an equitable approach, not an equal approach, to helping all of the people that we work with. And this particular individual told us how he has, you know, four kids at home and he has no time to do anything and he you know he gets real frustrated at work he comes home and takes it out on his family and he needs balance and this that and the other and i said and we both said like dude we can help you with that that's what we do 
And we never heard from that guy again because we didn't have any D1 clients. And now, a few years into this, I mean, we, we have Division One ADs. We have conference offices, the NCAA national office, Power 5 coaches, mid-major coaches, national team head coaches, you know, European pro coaches. We have all the quote-unquote levels represented. But the work we do is still rooted in how do we build the human component as the foundation and work our way through to alignment and congruence. And I would say that coaches that have less resources are more apt to focus on those things because they have to in order to get the edge that they're looking for to win and ultimately keep their jobs. Yeah, I think the the most interesting thing and probably the biggest thing I've learned since we've had these conversations with with people at all these different places and levels. And again, I, I take levels out of just the context of basketball to other sports, but also out of sport in general. To your, again, your teachers around campus, you know, we talked about police officers, medical professionals, business people, IT people, whatever. And it's it's the same thing as like what I've sort of experienced in my career, having all these different subjects and all these different levels and all these different classes. The the titles and everything are different, but at the end of the day, the job is always the same. The, the job is people. The job is the human component. And when we have a conversation with a European national team head coach, or we have a conversation with a division one assistant, or we have a conversation with a D3 head coach of, a, of another sport, or we have a conversation with a junior high teacher or a conversation with a, a nurse, those conversations are ultimately the same thing. And the same things come out of them because we're able to, we, we have to ask the same questions. And then those same questions take us down all these nuanced paths. But it's amazing to me how similar each of those conversations actually are and kind of they all end up in a very similar spot. We get it, we go about them in different ways and we end up there a ton of different ways. Some are a little bit quicker, some are a little bit slower, some are roundabout, some are more point A to point B. But we always kind of start with those same questions and we end up in a very, very, very similar place. And and to me, that has been one of the biggest lessons that I have learned in just being blessed enough to have conversations with everybody into thinking that no, not everybody is, is, you know, having to do something completely different at all these different levels. And, and just because, and it's not just because somebody is at a higher level means that they're smarter for lack of better phrasing. It also doesn't mean that somebody at a lower level is dumber. And so I think those, 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 both of those things work. So it's, it's not that we should automatically look up to the person in the higher level it also means the people at the higher level don't necessarily need to look down on the people that are that are at the lower level. And then again, if, if a lot of this comes down to the people that get to make the decisions, if you are an AD or you're somebody that's hiring this, if you're a high school AD, what are the like? What's the likelihood that you would hire a junior high coach to be your head coach? If you're a Division One AD, how likely are you to hire the successful NAIA coach? If you're a if you're a a college um, say you're a D2 head coach in football, how likely are you to hire the high school offensive coordinator? And it's like you, you can't go down to hire somebody. But at some point, 
every person at those other levels had to start somewhere. You can't get the experience without getting the experience. And we've touched on this some too, where like players kind of just, they, they're in that world and they make connections and they, they, there's a, a certain level of um, understanding or just sort of, you know, expectation that they're going to know how to coach because they played at a certain level. And so they're able to kind of walk into some of those situations and those jobs, but it becomes extremely difficult for somebody that's at the lower level to get a look and to get the opportunity to quote unquote move up, which first off, there's an assumption that the person would want to just because you coach D3 doesn't necessarily mean that you have to get to D2 or that you even want to get to D1. What, what the other thing that has been really eye-opening to me with a lot of the D3 people that we've, we've talked to, they don't want to work at D1. They don't want to work at D2. They don't want to work in high school. They want to work in division three. A lot of your division three coaches are in division three because that's, that's where they want to be. And they couldn't be happier than where they are right now. So just to assume that they're in D3 because they can't get somewhere else or that they've maxed themselves out is a complete falsehood. And a lot of times, like you said, those are the people that are having to do the most with less. And those are the people that should be giving these clinics. Yeah, it, it's funny because I had those conversations with some D1 coaches and they were like, you know, you know, I know you want to be a D3 head coach and you might have to move up to go back down. And I was like, wait a minute, there's no moving up to go down. I don't see this as up or down. I think each experience is different. And ultimately, like the reason we talk, me, you know, myself and, and some of those D1 coaches is because you want to learn from me, but I'm at the lower level. So what does that really tell you? You know, and that's that's where some of that dawned on some of them. And it, it, listen, these aren't contentious conversations. These are people I consider friends. They're people that, you know, I look up to because they've done a lot with their experience, too. But, you know, just to say, like, you have to move up to maybe move back down or whatever. Like, I don't think there's a, any such thing. Um, I think, you know, if you are able to learn, and this is something we try to instill in our players, right, to be lifelong learners you can't just pick and choose who you want to learn from, right? You can't just say like, oh, I only want to go listen to D1 coaches because they are the best of the best. I would really love to see how somebody like John Calipari comes and coaches some random Division Three team when he can't get future NBA guys on his roster right when he's got brain surgeons and and future finance guys on his roster how's that gonna work for you and i think that's like to to me that's that's something that you have to think about too is like if we took away the disparity in talent and we were just at the lowest common denominator i say the lowest common denominator in terms of you know athleticism skill all of those things which coaches are inherently going to be more successful or the perception of successful? It's probably going to be the people that have done that before where they've had to maximize with less. And so when we think about even prioritizing speed or prioritizing health or prioritizing engagement, connections, whatever it is, the coaches that have quote unquote less or are at a lower level are generally the ones that can do those things better because they have to in order to be successful. Otherwise, they're never going to. That's, they're never going to be able to find that edge in order to compete with the best teams in their league. 
Um, and I think it's it's sort of speaks to the old adage that people use, but it's an incomplete phrase of the jack of all trades is the master of none. That's an incomplete phrase that we've adulterated, just like competition, right? Just like recruiting, right? There's things that we need to be thinking about and sort of reframing. The original phrase is a jack of all trades is a master of none, but oftentimes better than a master of one. It was meant to be a compliment. Right. Right. So maybe you don't have a specialty, but at least you're good at a lot of things and you can actually go do something with that. And so I think as we sort of get, you know, higher, and again, we know what we're talking about here. As you go up, specialization becomes more important where you might need to be a better, you know, you might be, you need to be better at NIL now, right? So there's a specialty for somebody on staff there. You might need to be good at, you know, figuring out future professionals, right? So like John Calipari comes to mind, like he's sort of created this specialty at the University of Kentucky of he's going to recruit these one and done guys who want to be for, you know, future pros. And that's his prep, right? So, yep. you know, you come to, come to school for a semester, ball out. You don't even have to go to class second semester. We'll get you to the pros, right? We're going to change your family's life. You know, you, you got to be better defensively. You got to be better, you know, and these are the specialties, right? Like pick and roll offense, or I'm, I'm really good at recruiting a certain place. That's all well and good. Like go do that. But if we were to take you out of that context and put you somewhere where you have to be really, really good at a lot of different things and wear a lot of different hats, I'm not sure. And Kyle, correct me if I'm wrong, or like, let's ask some questions here for our audience. Like, I don't think that would be, I don't think that would work very well. But if you took that same coach at the quote lower level, who is that master of none, but also is is better than a master of one and you put them at that higher level they would probably be very successful oh yeah 100 percent uh and you mentioned calipari and if anybody out here can make this happen i still think a great reality show would be taking coaches at that highest level and making them have to coach like a junior high season (laughs) where their job depended on it and they had to deal with and go through kind of daily life of, of coaches that are having to teach math and do all that kind of stuff and, and kind of handle it and just see what that would look like and what their, their thought process, if they would be honest about it. Um, so if anybody out there could help me make that show happen, well, let's, let's do it. Um, I think that would be uh, amazing to kind of watch and see, but I do think we would learn I mean, a ton from it too. And I think they would learn a ton from it. It's like that movie Rebound with Martin Lawrence. You ever see that movie Rebound with Martin Lawrence where like he was the, the big D1 coach at like USC or whatever, and he fought the mascot. So his like his punishment was going to coach that junior high team. Same concept. Right? We need it in a reality show. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think like Nate Oates is a really good example of this. Right. Nate Oates was a high school coach. I think like eight years ago, Nate Oates was a varsity head high school coach in Romulus, Michigan. And now he's the head coach at the University of Alabama and he's doing the same stuff at Alabama that he did at Michigan. The difference is he's the same guy. He didn't feel the need to change who he was just because he's now the head coach at Alabama. And I think there needs to be more of that introspection 
in the hiring process. There needs to be more of that willingness to look past sort of this like, you know, idea that if you don't have head coaching experience at this particular level, you can't be successful. Nate Oates did not have college division one head coaching experience. He didn't. He was a head high school coach and a math teacher. He was an assistant. And then he got the job at Buffalo, took them to the tournament, and then got the job at Alabama, doing the same stuff, being the same guy, diving deep into relationships, using his math educator background to get those guys to understand how they wanted to play. And what's wild is that guys that played for him at Buffalo transferred to be with him at Alabama. So it wasn't that they chose the school because he was there. They, I mean, are not because he was there. They just chose the school. They chose it because they knew that this guy understood them. And he had guys from his high school team go to, to Buffalo. And then I don't know if any of them followed. I think they had matriculated out by that point. But, I mean, that speaks volumes, doesn't it? But that's, that that's hiring for the – that's hiring for the right things though. Like if you're about the right, right. things, I'm going to hire you for those quote unquote right things. And right. I, I do think, and again, this, this episode is not about like bashing division one or like pro coaches because I, I, but I think what happens a lot of times is when coaches reach that certain level, they feel like they have to be somebody different. I mean, I would say probably the top two of the three smartest coaches that I've ever had the pleasure of having conversations with are still at the division one level. Like they're still those same people. They're still that same person that they were 20 years ago is kind of working up. Now they've evolved and grown and all that kind of stuff. But we, we love to invoke John Wooden when it's convenient for us. John Wooden was an English teacher. You know, that's the reason why he was so good, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, yeah, okay. But then why don't we lean into that more often? Like we only seem to invoke that when it's convenient. But the moment Alabama loses a game, to start the 22-23 the, the college basketball season, there's going to be those folks that are going to be absolutely like railing on, well, this is why analytics don't work, or this is why you can't hire the high school coach or blah, blah, blah. But that same sort of fire doesn't seem to come across when it's the former player or when it's the recycled head coach. Look at college football in the NFL. All they do is recycle coaches. Nobody gets a fresh shot in the NBA, the NFL, college football. It is constantly, every time a job come open, it's the same. If, if the University of Alabama football job came open today, you knew who the top four or five people are going to be for that job, who are going to be rumored for it. It's the same four or five people that are rumored for every job. And we just immediately revert back to all of that. I'm going to use that word mystique again, where I, but I, I, I personally think like somebody like a Saban, you know, in former years, like I could see that guy coaching a junior high football team. I could see him handling a, an eighth grade math class. I think he's got that. Like I, I could see that being the potential. I could see Greg Popovich, you know, walking into a 10th a grade English classroom and being able to get those kids to, you know, to get something out of that. Again, it's not to say that coaches that are up at that at the tippity top can't go backwards but the whole the whole point and the nuance like you said to this conversation is to get us out of this automatic assumption that just because somebody is higher it means that they know more or that they're better or that we have to ignore or 
sort of um, shun somebody at the quote unquote lower level. And you mentioned Greg Popovich, just, I mean, everybody knows this and it's one of those things that's invoked very conveniently. Greg Popovich was a division three coach. And now Greg Popovich is the best coach of all time in the NBA. Those two things are not like, it's not as if he had to coach division three in order to get to the NBA. And, right. He chose to coach division three and then chose the NBA or the NBA chose him, right? He's the same guy. And what helped him at division three turn around, I believe is Pomona Pitzer, I think what helped him turn them around is the same thing that turned the Spurs around. I mean, I think in the modern era, like people look at the Spurs and they're this dynasty. Well, yeah, they had, you know, David Robinson, Tim Duncan, Tony Parker, whatever. And the Spurs are like my favorite team, right? I grew up in their era of dominance, but before Greg Popovich got there, they were terrible, right? They just weren't good and they were mediocre at best. What changed? The human in the building changed and nobody cared that he had been a division three coach. In fact, that probably helped him get that job. Just the same way that there's high school coaches out there right now that I know if I got a head coaching job tomorrow, I would call that high school coach and say, hey, come work here. And I'm going to let you do your thing because I've seen how you operate based on our conversations in essential coaching and in our, you know, rocket processes and just building that relationship. You are about the right things and you can get it done here because we are going to be about the right things that you're about. And I think that's where the alignment piece comes in. It's not to say that colleges don't know what they're looking for. The NBA only has a, an archetype that they want. So maybe some of those things are true. But the reality is, if you know what gets it done here, and you are invested in the human component and people are taking ownership of building those authentic, real connections and those real relationships and recruiting everybody every day, you're going to come out much farther ahead if you give that coach a chance to grow into that role, regardless of what the level is. We have to do a better job, and maybe this is teeing up the next episode, I don't know of actually evaluating what it is a coach is responsible for doing and who they're supposed to be and what we need them to do. And I think if we were actually really honest with ourselves, when we say like we want somebody that has head coaching experience to come take over this job or playing experience to take over this job, I think that is people not really rereading their job descriptions and updating them for 2022 and understanding what works in 2022 about recruiting, about competition, about, you know, creating environments, about teaching, about design, like environmental design. Those are the things that are going unsaid. And so when we think about like, you know, you said the same four or five people get floated for every job in the NFL or every job in the power five, you know, football or basketball or whatever. It's because we lack the creativity to really understand what it is we're looking for. And so we just deify the level and say, well, that person's been at that level. They can definitely get it done here. And we only look up. We're never looking down, quote unquote, down. 
to see who could actually get it done here, provided they have the support and the resources to do so. Thank you.